There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 38 of the Digital Freemason podcast for the week of uh, about October 23rd, 2006. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on our excellent adventure through the world of short Masonic educational papers. Most of these papers have been presented in my lodge, King George Lodge, number 59, in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So this one's going to be uh, a fairly lengthy, actually, the piece itself is very lengthy, so I'm not going to take a lot of time blathering at the front or the back end of this podcast, so I'll pretty much just get right into it. This piece was originally written um, in, oh, 1925 by Charles E. Green, and deals with the mysteries and the practices of Freemasonry. So, without any further ado, here we go. The story of the great building societies who traveled to Europe from the pre-Christian days to the Renaissance is a long one, and I'm afraid not very attractive to the majority of present-day craftsmen. Nevertheless, a few brief outlines are necessary for those who desire to visualize something of our noble lineage. Eminent students have, are telling us that the ancient mysteries of Egypt were practiced in temples whose buildings were supervised by the priests themselves. This was the connection between the mysteries and operative masonry. From there, the building societies migrated to Persia, Greece, and later to Rome, where they were known as the Roman Collegia. In the declining days of the empire, they were persecuted, but one lodge found refuge in Lake Como, and later, under the protection of the king of Lombardy, branched out to be the great common scene body. They later went to England by invitation of Lanfrain and built the Norman edifices. It is obvious that they were united with the local trade guilds. Meantime, their mystical and esoteric teachings were still held, but only by a very few to be resurrected and remodeled at a later age by Dr. Anderson and others after the creation of the Grand Lodge of England. Such is the theory of those eminent scholars, Brother Churchwood and Brother Ward. They are in contradiction with many of the other theories concerning the early origins of the craft, but they represent the most probable explanation of this curious and much discussed matter. To disprove the many wild theories concerning the subject, one cannot do better than to consultate Freck's Gould Monument, History of Freemasonry. In it, with ruthless logic, the highly regarded historian and legally trained Brother Gould deals with all the available evidence concerning the Templar theory of the origin of Freemasonry. With the schools which ascribe, if only to Druidism, the Druze, or the Devil, with the gypsy theory and with practically every theory plausible or impossible which has been offered from time to time, with a view of deceiving the unlearned and unwary and affording gullible brother, brethren of an opportunity of making themselves ridiculous. After collecting the evidence, he in, in every case establishes its value and as a result is forced to the general conclusion that while we are still as much in the dark as ever concerning the direct connection of modern-time Freemasonry with ancient mysteries and early societies. Later, in the early 19th century, in the time of Dr. Oliver, the claims of emblematic Masonry became a scorn and a byword to all that was sane in scholarship, and even today the output of the most awful Masonic, unproved and low-quality claims continue to litter the terrain of pure research. Bearing all these facts in mind, 
therefore, with no intention to change Masonic history, but for the benefit of those thinking brethren who realize that a knowledge, at least in outline of something of our ancient mysteries, is essential to the right perception of Masonry's noble mission. These were religious practices. The first and original mysteries appear to have been with those of Isis and Orusis. But exactly what went on in the temples has never possibly been ascertained. Some works containing some information have appeared from time to time, the most interesting that I know of being Copen's Krataropoa, which is a collection from numerous ancient literary sources. Then there is the famous Book of the Dead, the ritual of ancient Egypt. It is considered by the authorities as a real authentic record of some of the rites and ceremonies, and a study of it leaves an impression mounting almost to a conviction that in these ancient mysteries we have a good deal of foundation ahead of Freemasonry. Let us look into it a little information that we have at hand. In the Book of the Dead, we learn that the fear of mutilation of the body made by the Egyptians exceedingly attentive to the embalming and preservation, not only of the body of itself, but also of the bowels. They were not taken out of the body, and after being mummified were put in four jars and placed in the tomb alongside this, the mummy. These vessels were called canopit jars, and they had lids distinct of distinguishing emblems of the four sons of ours, the head of the nape, a man, a jackal, and a hawk. These also represent the four cardinal points, north, south, east, and west. The following quotations are from the Book of the Dead. Quote, Let not my head be cut off, let not my brow be slit, let not my heart be torn away from me, and let it not be wounded, and may the, neither the wounds or gashes be death upon me. Let not my head be taken off, or my tongue torn out. Take ye not this heart into your grasp. In the ceremonial procedures, there were, probably, there were probably many things which Freemasons of today would look at with keen interest and understanding. The preambulation, for instance, and some of the signs would be quite familiar to us. There is a statuette of Isis, which might easily be taken for a Mason, entering a lodge and facing the worshipful master. The right and left hands are exactly as they should be, while the arms are true squares, the whole attitude being that of a mason. There is also to be found on the walls of one of the tombs a very fine initiation scene, where we have Sethi facing Isis and standing with hand to foot and foot to foot in such an attitude as would lead one to anticipate the remaining three points of this part of our present-day ceremonial. Again, in the Book of the Dead, we read that Quote, they covered it again with all respect and reverence, and to distinguish the mark, placed a sprig of acacia at the head of the grave. And again, quote, homage to thee, O Lord of the acacia tree. In an attempt to dedicate to Osiris, we have a relief of the tomb, over which there grows an acacia tree. In its branches sits the Banu bird, or phoenix, emblem of immortality and symbol of the soul of Isis while in the left-hand corner is the all-seeing eye, the hieroglyph of our Isis. A singular circumstance in connection with Acacia is the fact that it is never being pictured except near the tomb of our Isis. It is being established that there have been seventeen mysteries in all. Seven of them were, no, were what are known as primary, and the other ten were called greater mysteries. 
Diligent research points out the probability that the seven primary, or lesser mysteries, were practiced with signs, symbols, and exonerations very similar as speculative masons are practicing in today's lodges. Here again, the Book of the Dead gives some information that can be asserted by Dr. Churchwood that the priests who have received two of the seven degrees were actually operatives, but, but that the students have not been able to satisfy themselves as to the grounds on which this assertion has been based. It would seem that such celebrities as Pythagoras, the grand geometrician, Zoroastrus, and Ophirius, the Greek poet, and Thales, the philosopher, were among those who were initiated into these systems. But all is shadowy, and confused by the dogmatic assertion is once foolish and vain. Most of the great Masonic students, including the celebrated Dr. Ford Newton, have liked to think that in the heart of these mysteries was a real stream of pure, unpolluted teachings which had survived, in essence, to present time. Whether these old mysteries were the only receptacles of living truths in those far-off days is unknown. When and by whom these teachings were introduced within the circle of emblematic masonry is, as previously stated, unknown. Once more we are in the shadows of the greater mysteries. Many have asserted that the lesser mysteries spread first through Persia, Greece, Europe, and America, but that the greater mysteries were more jealously guarded and took longer to reach those countries. Also, they are, they are the so-called higher degrees of present-day masonry and are true interpretations of the mysteries of Egypt as defined in the Book of the Dead. The evidence seems feasible. These greater mysteries, like the lesser ones, once formed the heart of every great religion of the world. The goal of the mysteries was seemingly nothing less than deification, whereby man was led step by step from the ordinary life of the world until he put on the splendor and loveliness of God himself. In other words, the vital and immortal principle is a spark of God's fire, evolving from latency to potency through long continuing training. The teachings were all given in dramatic form, and the initiates were indeed mighty realities. Would such, would such were the case, but alas, this is a cynical and materialistic age, and man has strived afar. Just how far, and for how long these mysteries remained unsullied, is problematic. Other great schools of religious and ethical thought arose, and through them one traces something as the same method of our teaching. Mithraism was an ancient doctrine, attributed to Zoroaster, practiced in early Persia monarchy. It became greatly altered and modified in the first four centuries of the Christian era. Fundamentally, it expressed a belief in the transmigration of souls under the influence of the seven planets, over whose operations Mithraeus presided. It is absolutely certain that it is mostly derived from the mysteries of ancient Egypt. The study of the cult of Druidism has also exercised a fascination to Masonic students. It was a pagan system of worship, and like all those priesthoods, old priesthood systems, it compromised two sets of doctrines and opinions, one for the inner circle, so to speak, and the other for the people. The initiates were taught that the most private places, such as the deepest caves or the thickest forests, no written records were ever kept. The other system was made public and was, in essence, a series of pagan or barbaristic rites suitable to the superstitious state of the people. Druidism taught the doctrine of immortality of the soul. Sun worship 
inexhaustible fires, moon worship, and animal and human sacrifices, as well as the practice of all that was superstitious, were the distinguishing characteristics of this fearful, wonderful system of tyranny and religious corruption. The question then arises, what then does masonry owe to Druidism? The plain fact that it owes nothing of an ethical nature. Possibly some of our symbolism is Druidical in origin. The cable toe, for instance, is probably a relic of the chain used by the Druids. So too the fact that a man enters masonry blind and neither naked nor clothed. These conditions were precisely enforced by the Druids. Their place of worship was circular, surrounded by large stones in the center of an altar on which sacrifices were made. The points within the circle are well-known symbols with the Druids. It is not known how Druidism became an integral part of the national life of the early savages of Britain. Most probably its tenets and customs were introduced by priests who traveled with the early Phoenicians, those hardy maritime pioneers who went to Cornwall to trade for tin some 2,000 years or so before the Christian era. The Eleusian mysteries were the earliest and greatest of the Greek-instituted mysteries and were not Egyptian origin. The central myths tell of Demeter, Zeus, Sibyl, Parasophone and Cyclops, and other mytho mythological characters, and also the rape of Prosperine. Around it were woven the dramas of the system, even as masonry today is woven around the Haramic legend. History remains uncertain as to where, what connections there were between the Egyptian mysteries, the Greek mysteries, the Mithraism of Persia, and Druidism of Britain. They most probably have some remote common origin away from the very dawn of uh, human life, but the evidence recedes from our vision and into the background that is quite obscure. So there we have it. Uh, another chance to sort of dig back in time and figure out where Freemasonry came from. Don't know if it really clears any of the situations up or just sort of muddies the water a bit more. I'll leave that uh, for you to take a look at here over the next week or so as you delve into uh, making a daily advancement in your Masonic knowledge. So until next time, I've been your host, Scott, and I uh, invite you to send comments to uh, email address podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com or even come by and visit our website at www.kinggeorgelodge.com. So until next time, keep the shiny side up.